Hey you, welcome to Tea Talk, a space to share the therapy tea. I'm Shailene, your host, and I hope you'll join me each week as we sit down to share tips, stories, and conversations on getting better emotionally, recovering from trauma, and improving your overall quality of life. I want to remind everyone that even though podcasts can feel therapeutic, they are definitely not a replacement for therapy. Please, at any point, if you feel the need to take a break because the content is too heavy, please do that and take care of yourself. Also, if you're loving this podcast, please do me a favor and leave me a review, share your reflections with me on Instagram and share it with a friend who needs to hear it. All right. So I'm ready. You're ready. And we're friends now. So go ahead and sit down, cozy up, and let's get ready for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by APS Housekeeping. It's Amanda and her awesome cleaning team. They come to my house every couple of weeks, and they also clean several of my friends' houses. And let me tell you, I convinced almost every single person who uses Amanda to use her services for their own mental health. Plus you're supporting another small women-owned business, so that's always a win-win. But one of the best decisions I made for my own mental health and self-care was hiring a house cleaner. Why? Because I have plenty of other things to do and more things that I want to be doing than spending time cleaning the house. So instead of cleaning the house, I'm doing things like getting more work done, spending time with my family, going for a longer walk, all because I have Amanda and her awesome, awesome team to come help me out with all of those other tasks. So sorry, friends, if you're not in the South Jersey area, this isn't benefiting you so much, but if you are, stop what you're doing right now and reach out to Amanda. Let her know that you heard her ad on TikTok and you'll get a 20% discount on your first service. You can reach Amanda at 609-998-1471 and you'll thank me later. Hey peeps, I'm here with Danielle Massey. She's an LMFT, the country's leading expert on shadow work. Danielle is a best-selling author with her most recent book, Shadow Work, which is making waves in the healing industry. She's also the founder of the Selfish Philly Conference, CEO of a holistic healing company called The Wellness Collective, intuitive business mentor, and creator of a multitude of healing courses that have helped thousands of students heal their shadows and alter their lives and embrace their identity as shadow seekers. Welcome to Tea Talk, Danielle. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. Yeah, same. I've got so many questions because I know nothing about shadow work, but I follow you on Instagram and I see all the cool shit that you're doing and I'm like, I have to know more about all of this. So let me just like roll everything back, all of my excitement because it's going to come out as like ADHD and not make any sense. Where I want to start is where you learned about shadow work and then how you started on the journey and tell us what it's all about. Yeah, it was always on the back burner. Like I know that you're a therapist like I am. So as we're going through school, we're learning about Carl Jung, but it's very overview. You learn about the shadow in the briefest of terms. You learn about the archetypes. And then you keep moving. And then we're talking about Eric Erickson two seconds later. Mm -hmm. So it really didn't come until I got deep into my own healing. And that happened around the time that I was going through cancer. I was diagnosed with cancer. And when that happened, my entire world imploded very suddenly. And I didn't really know where to turn, even though I had my own therapist. I was a therapist myself. I couldn't figure it out. At the time, I was also working as a professor at Penn State. And one of the courses that I was teaching, we actually went in depth about Carl Jung in the shadow. 
And it just kept coming up, like those little intuitive hits. It kept coming up and coming up in my head, like you should explore this further. You should find somebody who does this. So I finally pulled the trigger and I found a woman in the UK who is a former licensed psychotherapist who now exclusively did shadow work sessions. And with her, we went on an almost two-year journey deep into my shadow where we were having weekly to bi-weekly sessions, exploring the depths of my soul, which sounds really, it, it sounds intense and it deep. was in every <laughs> single way. It was deep. I learned more about myself in three sessions than I did in years of therapy. Wow. It was fascinating to me and I was hooked. Wow. So is shadow work therapy or is it considered something different? Well, according to insurance panels, it would not be. So <laughs> of course. Wah, wah. It out that way. <laughs> in my mind, I actually think about it more as like a meditative practice than a psychotherapy one, even though there's still tools from the therapy world that we're utilizing, which is why a lot of therapists find their way into shadow work and start either using it in their practice or having like a side coaching hustle where they do shadow work because we're combining the meditative where we're accessing these memories from our past. And then we're including in the psychotherapy pieces about let's really regulate the body. Let's look for those trauma signs. Let's interrupt the subconscious feedback loop as we're there to help us heal on that deeper level. Okay. Yes. I'm liking this. Plus this just feels like what I hope people get out of listening to tea talk is just that there are many ways to heal that don't have to be locked under the title of therapy. And even within that, it's, it's annoying. And I can go on a side rant about this. But like, just because insurance companies don't say that, like, we don't cover this doesn't mean that it's not going to be something that's actually really helpful and healing to you. So that's like a whole other thing that pisses me off. However, <laughs> we could spend forever on that. We could spend forever on that. Can you drop a little knowledge on Carl Jung, the archetype shadow work? Because what I remember from grad school is only Carl Jung's name. I don't remember archetypes. I don't remember shadow. I don't remember any of this stuff. And that's probably because they're trying to, you know, we're trying to learn so much in such a small amount of time. So it's not I don't think like my program was deficit. I think it's more just like there's so much stuff to cover. So tell us a little bit about the roots of it. Yeah, I totally agree. I actually felt the same way, especially during undergrad, during those like early psych years when you're getting the basics of everything, you don't really get the opportunity to go that deep. Mm -hmm. And then when you get into your master's degree or your PhD, you're so focused on actually doing the work and like what it's going to look like during a session that you're not getting some of those foundational pieces. I feel like we get more of it during our CEs. As yeah. we go through our licensure, right? I learned more in my CEs than I feel like I did during my graduate school program. Yeah. So the basic thing, the main pieces that make shadow work easy to understand are that Carl Jung came up with the idea of the shadow. He coined the term and what he was referencing when he said the shadow is the unconscious mind. According to Jung, there are three levels of our consciousness. We have the conscious mind, which is everything that we're fully aware of at any given time. We have the subconscious mind, which is the stuff that's just below the surface of our awareness. This is the stuff that we're dealing with in traditional therapy most often, where it's the pieces of ourselves that we're like, oh, like, I don't really want to talk about this. It's there, but I don't necessarily want to process it, but I can access it if I want to. I can get to it. It's also a lot of our automatic thoughts and behaviors. So when we wake up in the morning and before our brain is really aware of what we're doing, we're picking up our phone and we're swiping and we're looking through and we're swiping and we're not conscious of it. We're not doing it with our full conscious awareness. Below the surface, even deeper than that is our unconscious mind. And when I was studying cognitive neuroscience in undergrad, that was my other major. 
We focused a lot, actually, on the unconscious mind and memory. I even worked in the memory lab at Temple University. And what we found is that most people, most memories that most people have are being stored in the unconscious. And the reason for that is because every single thing you've ever seen, felt, experienced, it's all in your head. Mm. It's all there. But you're not consciously able to grasp it all the time. If you've ever heard the saying that every single license plate that you've ever seen is in your memory, that's true. Every interaction, every little moment. And so when this stuff gets stuck in the unconscious, what Carl Jung found is that it shapes our neural pathways. It shapes the way that we see the world. And when we have these early experiences that are shaping the way that we see our world, What's going to happen is it's going to change our entire trajectory of our life because we're going to see the world through a different lens than everyone else will. Our brains are as unique as our fingerprints. No two are alike. And it's because of these early experiences. And then over time, as you have repeated experiences, you're looking for things that reinforce that narrative that your brain has created. And so if there's something to the contrary, you'll push it aside. If there's something that reinforces, you'll let it stick. A lot of our way of seeing the world comes from these unconscious moments playing out over and over. And so the way that we see this on a regular basis is through our triggers. Our triggers show us what's stuck beneath, but we can't really access them easily. So what Carl Jung proposed, and I think this had a lot to do with his work with Freud, is accessing the memories through things like meditation or hypnosis. Because when you're in that theta brainwave state, what happens is that you can pull those memories back up to the surface and deal with them consciously. And that's what shadow work is. And now Carl Jung goes deeper even than that into things like the archetypes and stuff like that. But I find that the archetypes are essentially like object relations theory. And it's like your way of seeing the world is shaped into any number of these groups. But I think that stuff also changes over time, too, because our world today is very different than it was 200 years ago. What was your so you said that your first experience of it, you're going through your own healing, you have a cancer diagnosis, also just so weird. I've had a lot of guests lately like that talk about going into their healing journey and having cancer diagnosis, especially as someone who's really young. And it's just like, what the heck? And so it makes a lot of sense that I think young women who quote unquote are not supposed to get cancer are in this place where they're like, I need to find something because everything out here is not doing it for me. So you find yourself in this situation. You find this woman who's going to do this work with you. What's that process like of you going through it? What do people, what can they expect when they're doing shadow work with a practitioner? Yeah, it's wild how common it's becoming. Oh, it's scary. It is. It really is. But I think it has a lot to do with so many different factors, like the food that we eat, the stress that we have in our lives. Our environment, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And those stressors from those early experiences as our lives become more and more complex and complicated as time goes on. I think it all factors together. So for me, when I first started, and the same process is what I use with my clients now, is I signed up for a session with her. And what we did is she got me into a meditative state. This is actually how I start my book, Shadow Work. I described the first session with her. It's very detailed. I go into every bit of it. But we started our session in that theta brainwave state. And once we were there, she allowed me to step into a memory. And she didn't guide me into it. She didn't tell me what to see, what to do. She kind of brought me to the point where I could access the memory. And then she just kind of gave me a gentle nudge in and Mm -hmm. said, share with me. 
Mm-hmm. Tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you're feeling. And if I tell you it was like it was happening to me in that moment, the most vivid experience that I've ever had. And it's because when we tap into those memories, the way that we remember things is with all of our senses and the emotions that were tied and the thoughts that we had in those moments. And so all of those things, if we're really tapping into them correctly, should come flooding back very easily where you see every aspect, you feel it. You can actually feel the ground underneath your feet. You can smell the scents in the air. And it's wild how much it just rushes back without really even having to try all that hard. That first memory that you went into, I know you talk about it in your book in detail. Was that, what kind of memory was it? Was it a was it a memory that had a trauma attached to it that was keeping you stuck? Was it a memory that was more neutral? Like, what was the significance of that one, that first one that came up? No, there was a big trauma attached to it, and it was actually a past life. And I don't know how much you've looked into Brian Weiss's work or Dr. Michael Newton. They're all psychiatrists and psychologists who have started to do things like regressing people back with hypnosis and then accidentally land in past lives. And I've done that with my clients before too. And it's actually become a big piece. About a quarter of the work that I do ends up being past lives with things like inner child healing, taking up another quarter, womb healing, which is not actually as specific to women as you think. It's anything gender related. And we call it womb healing because it's around the sacral chakra and creation, which is tied to wombs. And then generational traumas that you know from our research into epigenetics is how your DNA changes from family member to family member down that line genetically where we carry traumas from our ancestors. So the first time that I ever did it, we dropped right into a past life. And if I, I can't even explain how much of a skeptic I was. I was like, this isn't real. I'm making this up. But the details were so vivid. It was so tangible. Everything was so tangible. I was right there. And I was actually able to look it up when we were all done and go, okay, I'm 100% certain I was in Scotland. I'm 100% certain it was in this specific town, which is on the coast. I'd never even heard of this place before. You've been to Scotland before? I've never been to Scotland. I had nothing. And then I was able to look it up afterwards and find that the town existed, that it was around the start of the witch trials. They started in central Scotland and they made their way into the outskirts. And in that past life that I saw, I was what would be considered like a medicine woman, like the town healer. I learned the practice from someone else. They passed it on to me. And it was during the period of time where people were very afraid of women who were healing. And so my life actually didn't end there. I saw the ending of other people's lives. I was training a few women to do what I do. And I watched them pass. And I was holding on to that trauma as a therapist because I was afraid that if I taught people how to help themselves, that I would actually lead to them getting hurt. Mm, wow. So you're go- when you go into this, are you, you have some knowledge of it when you're going in. So did you know that past life stuff could come up? Because you said you're a skeptic. So no, you I had, had no to be clue. through there like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> That's how I felt. I was like, what? I Honestly, I was like, WTF is happening to me. And the woman who was taking me in, Allison, was like, just try and go in non-judgmentally. Like, just let whatever comes up, come up, and we will deal with it afterwards. And then the scientist in me was like, I need to find all the information. I have to find yeah. all the facts. And now, all these years later, I can't tell you the number of things that I've seen that I'm like, holy crap. Like, you can't even argue this. There's one session that I had with a woman. This is years ago when I still had my therapy practice and I was doing shadow work on the side. 
She was a college-age student, and she was coming to me for shadow work. And so during our first session, we actually saw her on a train into Auschwitz. She didn't know that she was a child in this past life memory. She had no idea where she was going. She thinks she was around 8 or 10 years old. But she remembers seeing the sign because she was like pressed up against the side of the train. And she read it in perfect German. And the sessions at the time, I recorded everything So afterwards, we wrote down what she said, and we looked it up, and we found that there is a sign outside of Auschwitz that said verbatim what she said. And she doesn't know German. She's from New Jersey, and like she's a college student. She took Spanish in high school and actually got a C in it. So it didn't make any sense, except you kind of have to trust that there's a reason why she saw what she saw and felt what she felt. It was wow, wild. that's amazing. So, so then you get this information. What do you do with that? So you've got this, which I only know you in a very small sense so far, like with what I've seen from on Instagram. And I'm like, that is so cool and so fitting that you were this like w- witchy woman <laughs> back <laughs> in the day, <laughs> getting in trouble for helping people heal. I'm like, okay, so the story lines up. Like this totally fits. But what do you do with that information now that you have it? What is the practitioner helping people do with this information that they get? So the whole idea is when we're bringing it up and we're actually in that meditation, and you're re-experiencing it, what's going to happen is you're going to switch into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So we're going to notice some of those physiological changes. You're going to see that I'm starting to get really tense. My shoulders are creeping up towards my ears. I might start to ball down because I'm protecting myself. My breath might get really shallow. And so what we want to do is once we start to see that happen, we start to utilize some breathwork techniques to really slow that breath down, stop the production of adrenaline and cortisol, and switch that autonomic nervous system response off into rest and digest. And what we're doing when we do that is interrupting the subconscious feedback loop, that way that we store memories. And so if we interrupt how the memory is stored in the brain by using this technique, then everything that comes afterwards, that neural pathway that was set there, starts to degenerate. So we have that synaptic pruning that occurs. Some of those old pathways start to fade away. And then what we do afterwards is we work on synaptogenesis. How can we replace it effectively in a way that really helps you grow from it? And that's what happens in the aftermath. So while the session's happening, we want to really interrupt those loops. And afterwards, we want to create new ones kind of like narrative therapy in a way. This episode is brought to you by Rebel Mente and the Embodied Healing Training. It's a 15-hour training for yoga teachers, helping professionals, educators, and really anybody that wants to have a positive influence on somebody they know, or maybe even themselves if they've endured some sort of trauma. When I was a new yoga teacher, I thought that I was set in being able to help utilize yoga with my trauma clients because I was already a trained mental health professional at that point. And so finishing yoga teacher training, I thought, okay, I can just put these things together and that'll be fine. Turns out that that wasn't true and I had to fill in a lot of gaps and I took a deep dive into training to help get to where I am today. On the other side, in my clinical work, I knew that there were many clients of mine who would say things like, well, I logically get why I shouldn't feel this way anymore, but I still feel this way in my body. And so It just seemed like there was a branch missing to connect mind and body and they needed more somatic resources. So all of that has brought me to now. I created the embodied healing training to help other professionals with these same kind of problems. And the training is held in person March 10th through the 12th. It's 15 hours long and it'll be at the DBT of South Jersey Yoga Studio. 
You can find all of the information and sign up on rebelmente.com under the yoga tab. Make sure to sign up as soon as you can because there's only a small amount of spots available. Can't wait to see you there. Yeah, and so many trauma therapies, it's been cool to do this podcast and to talk with different kinds of healers because it all comes down to something is getting stuck in your brain or your body and we have to free it up. We have to create space. So if we're talking from like a yogic standpoint, it's like we need to clear up the the energy pathway, the energetic pathway that got blocked. If we're talking from like pretty much like any evidence-based trauma therapy, it's like we need to change the response that's happening in your body. So we need to use breath work to be able to send messages to your brain that it's okay and you're not in danger. Like it's all of these different ways, but it, it's all coming back to the same thing. We need to change the data that's happening, like what's registering in your brain and your body. And we need to switch the tape out and connect you with what's going on in the present, which in that moment, hopefully you're in a situation where you're safe, you can process this and you can, your body and your brain can release it and allow you to tap into who you are, who you're supposed to be without carrying that stuff with you today. That's exactly right. And I love taking a lot of the trainings that are available now in other trauma modalities, whether it's like trauma-informed yoga practices, somatic movement, or right now I've been deep into polyvagal theory. So I just signed up for another training with Deb Dana and I'll see Dr. Stephen Porges down at the Psychotherapy Networker in like a month and a half, which That's I'm very exciting. excited about. I am excited. It's going to be really awesome. But I think those common threads exist because we all are doing the same thing and hitting it from different angles, which is cool for everybody else because it means that there's no one path to healing. If this doesn't resonate with you, if you're listening to shadow work and you're like, mm, nope, not for me but you were listening to a session with someone who's like a somatic movement practitioner mm-hmm. who was raised in shamanic practices, who does it from a different angle, do that. Cause mm-hmm. it's going to do the same thing. It's just going to hit it from a different perspective. Yeah, for sure. Tell us a little bit about, so we know why you got into your own healing journey and how this kind of changed things for you. You started doing it professionally, but tell us the impact that it's had on your life personally. Oh my gosh. Everything changed. I feel like I could talk about this for hours, but in the simplest forms, I was a really burnt out, sick psychotherapist before I found shadow work. I was seeing my um, students in the mornings. I was working at Penn State Brandywine. I dropped my kids off at daycare at seven o'clock, rush out there to beat the rush hour traffic, and then teach until around noon, run over to my psychotherapy practice in Center City, Philadelphia, and I'd be there until 9.30 p.m. at night, sometimes 10 o'clock at night, Mm. especially if I had a lot of paperwork to do afterwards, depending if my clients were back to back to back to back, Mm -hmm. which most of the time they were. I was so tired, and I was really sick, and I wasn't listening to my body at all. And when I look at cancer now, it makes a lot of sense that I got it, because on the surface, my life looked like it was really good. It looked like I was very successful, and like I had it all. And afterwards, I can look back and go, no, I was doing what I thought I was supposed to do, but I wasn't listening to my body for a second. I was just hustling. I was grinding it out. And I was letting myself get sicker and sicker without listening to any of the warning signs. And now my life is very peaceful. I tend to spend most of my days relaxing and doing things at a pace that feels good. Like even things like this, signing up to do this podcast before here, before we did that, I had an hour where I was able to take a really long bath with rose petals in it. After this is over, I'm going to just kind of make something probably like some sort of Ayurvedic lunch 
and relax again. The pace is different. And yet the impact I have is much greater because Mm. my platform is bigger than it ever was before. I'm a best-selling author, which I never could have dreamed of doing before. I never would have had the time to write a book with a schedule like I had before. I wouldn't have been able to say yes to that opportunity if it came at a different point. Mm -hmm. I'm able to do things like talk shows and be on the news all the time because I just have freedom that I never could have imagined beforehand. And I think I was clinging to the idea that you have to work hard and burn out in order to be a success. Whereas now I understand that rest and really listening to your body and doing what it needs is how you find happiness and success will follow from there. It's an interesting thing because in the work that we do and in work that I do, like, I just feel like listen to your body is something that has gotten oversimplified. And I think people hear it and they just kind of are like, yeah, yeah. And and I do it too. Like I do, I'm telling people to listen to their body all the time. And sometimes I'm the absolute worst at it. And I've been thinking about cancer and other life-threatening diseases a lot over the past couple of years, partially because my mom has breast cancer, but also in some study that I've dug into just looking at the instances of trauma with cancer, trauma with heart disease, like all of these different sicknesses. And even this morning, I'm listening to a book right now, literally like just because I like learning about all different things. It's called Stiff. And the book is about basically like what happens to cadavers, like how bodies get used when they're donated to science. So it's all of these different studies and like random stuff. So I'm listening to that in the morning. And They reference a study because this one chapter right now is all about what happens, like at what point do medical professionals consider a human no longer alive? Is it when the brain doesn't function or when the heart stops beating? And it's about the early days of when they started to kind of like figure this out, the difference between the law and science. And so there was a study that was done where they swabbed the inside of somebody's cheek and they took the cheek cells and they put it in another room. And they looked at the cells while they had the person watch a violent movie. And the cells in the other room were still reacting as if they were under stress, even though this person is somewhere else. And I I was just like, oh, my God. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like PTSD and trauma and the impact that it has on our body. And this idea of take it easy, learn to rest, listen to your body and cancer basically being I'm going to say the most simple form, like your cells, it's it's problems happening within your cells, right? And so when you think about that, like this study of this person's cheek getting swabbed and then looking at the cells in another location, they're not even a part of the body anymore, but still connected and reacting in that way. And it just made me think, wow, like we have no idea how much we take on every day, just living our lives, right? Like being a person who lives in America with the news and and everything that's going on, in addition to what we're carrying from our own lives and things that we might be even carrying generationally or in past lives that we don't even know about and the impact of that on our bodies. It's like when you think about that, it feels like mind-blowing. But in the day-to-day, I think it is really easy to get caught up in whatever it is that you're doing and just kind of like learn to ignore all of that. Absolutely. That study is fascinating, by the way. I have to look that up when we're done because that makes a lot of sense in my eyes. And I do think that we're desensitized to so many things. Just the amount of advertisements that Americans are subjected to every single day. (sighs) We've learned 
to just let them go and not pay attention. But that doesn't mean that our body is letting them go and not paying attention. Mm -hmm. Your mind can shut off and we can kind of dissociate in those moments. We can come out of body, but our body is there and it's feeling every bit of it. And here's a perfect example of that. When I had my final cancer surgery, it was an open stomach hysterectomy, which is very aggressive but my doctors felt like it was the best chance for me to never have cancer again because they wouldn't be accidentally jostling any of the cancer cells and letting them go into my bloodstream. So we said, okay, and I went for it. I was under anesthesia. I was out. I was unconscious. I was not awake for the surgery. But for months afterwards, if I saw a butter knife even cut anything, my entire body turned to ice. Oh. So even though I wasn't awake, I didn't remember anything. Your my body, body remembered. Yeah, mm. it did not forget. The body keeps the score. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now, mm. even though I've processed through the trauma, because the body does not forget what mm. it feels like. But I think since we're young, like from the time that we're very little and we're young children, we're toddlers, our world, our families, our teachers impose a lot of their thoughts and feelings about our bodies on us. It starts as young as parents choosing when we're going to eat instead of letting us eat when we're hungry. Mm. It comes to teachers not letting us go to the bathroom when we have to go and instead having to wait until designated points to be able to go. All these little moments where it's like I have an intuitive hit that something needs to happen. My body is communicating to me. And instead of listening, I'm trained to repress. And so that's what we're taking into our adulthood. We're taking 20-something, 30-something, 40, 50-something years of being told, no, that's not how you feel. Mm -hmm. And now we just ignore our bodies. We eat when we're supposed to because we're supposed to eat before we go to work in the morning in the middle of the afternoon, and then again around 6 p.m. And that's when someone told me, but what if I'm hungry at four? What if I want to eat then? Am I supposed to just eat a snack and wait? Because then I'm probably going to overeat. I'm going to eat a snack, and then I'm going to overeat at dinner, and then my body's going to feel like crap, Mm -hmm. and it's just going to end up in a bad cycle. Or the bathroom thing, I think that's such a huge one, because we do it all the time, right? Like you're in the middle of a therapy session, you're not going to be like, hey, I have to pee. So oh, let's I know. just table And this then you discussion. get a UTI because you haven't peed in hours. <laughs> yeah. And that's insane to me. <laughs> it right? is that's insane. Crazy. It's it insane. is insane. And, and I've done it. <laughs> I remember being starving as a therapist because I had back-to-back clients. And, you know, you save that 10 minutes at the end. Your therapeutic hour is over and you have 10 minutes. But my clients would want to, like, chit-chat and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's lovely. Like, I love you guys to pieces. But I have been going since 8 a.m. You're like, I, I have, have to pee, get water, eat dinner, make the note, and do all of that within the next nine minutes. <laughs> and that's all the time I have. I have no time. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. And it's insane that we live like that. But even not therapists, like any job that you do, we could probably find examples yep. of this. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. That's such a good point about learning that like at a young age. And I'm reflecting already on like my son and the things that I do to reinforce all of that, wanting to nurture someone that, you know, can listen to his body and trust himself. But also, you just get so caught up in like, but this is what we've always done. Another book that I just finished, totally like recommend everyone listen to this. It's a book by Trisha Hersey called Rest is Resistance. And it's a manifesto and it very much reads as a manifesto. And she is the founder of the Nat Ministry, where basically She's oh, using, oh my gosh, yes. fabulous. So like I just finished her book and, and so she's basically saying like, 
you know, when we get caught up in a society of oppression and hustle culture, taking a nap or taking a break and resting is a form of resistance and how we have to do that because it's our birthright and it's what our body needs and all this stuff. But one of the things she said that really stuck with me was when she was pregnant, the doctor was wanting her to get a C-section. And she was saying that like she knew in her body that that wasn't what was needed. Like she trusted that the baby was going to come. But because of the society that we live in, and I, again, like I get that this happens to doctors, like they get worried about liability and getting sued and all this stuff and, and money and all this stuff comes up. And she's like, my baby has been rushed from the time that he was born, like to come yeah. out and then school and bathroom breaks and food and all of these things. And I was just like, wow, when we really stop and pay attention to the demands, not just that we put on our body, that society puts on our body are the expectations to go back to work, how long it takes you to heal. Insurance companies deeming what kind of healing is appropriate and how much time you should have down to, I mean, the reason that we have 60, 50, whatever minute sessions, that all started from insurance. Even if we don't take insurance, we still have that long for a session. So it's just something that's really interesting. And I hope people are taking out like our emphasis on really stopping and observing what kind of patterns have been passed down to you. And I imagine that's particularly relevant in shadow work because it's looking at past stuff that you're carrying on. And so I think it's great that we're talking about this because I know it's something that so many people can connect to. It's so important. I actually created my conference Selfish Philly around the exact same concept because for me, the idea of being selfish is taking care of ourselves in a way where we're unapologetic about putting ourselves first because we understand that our health is the most important thing in our lives. If we don't have our health, we don't have anything. So Selfish Philly was really meant to be this movement of people who were like, no, I need to put myself first. I'm going to find a way to do that. I'm going to find the healers, the therapists, the practitioners who understand what I'm going through and who are willing to listen. And I'm going to get knowledge and experience on that day to really do it. And I can't tell you every single year this happens, I'll get picked up by a major news station. It'll be ABC, Fox, NBC. And they always ask the same question of like, why do you feel like that's necessary? <sighs> and it, it on the one hand makes me crazy. And on the other hand, it just really reinforces this idea. The need, yeah. Yeah, that we really do need it because our society tells us that we're just supposed to give. And it doesn't matter what your gender is, because I do think it's a gender neutral thing, though. I do think the pressure is harder on women and harder still on women of color, mm -hmm. where it just builds. The more ticks you have against you on that front, the more that society puts pressure on you to work harder, to give more, to be more for everyone but yourself, which is just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. And not just for the individual. I mean, society, it's problematic, like for for everybody that, that's involved. Tell us about where we can learn more about you, shadow work, the offerings you have, the Selfish Conference, all of those things. Yeah. So everything is on my website at IAM Danielle Massey. And that's the same username everywhere. So on YouTube, on Pinterest, on TikTok, on Instagram, I'm always at IAM Danielle Massey. And if you want to find out more about Selfish Philly, you can just head over to SelfishPhilly.com. All the details will be there, but they're also on that regular website too. If you head over to IamDanielleMassey.com. I am so pumped. I feel like I, this past 32 minutes, I've feel like I've grown 
in educational years, like so much. <laughs> Likewise, I want to get your books. Especially uh, Skip. This is fascinating. Same way. I love reading the weird stuff. Well, definitely. Well, I'll, I'll definitely give you the the lowdown on, on all of the things that I'm reading. And we'll definitely have to have you back on because I feel like I could continue this conversation on and on. So check out Danielle. Check out her work. What's the name of your book? It's called Shadow Work. My publishing company wanted to keep that really simple. The cover is purple and pretty, and there's a big black circle around the word Shadow Work. You can't miss it. Yes, I thought it was just Shadow Work, but then I was like, maybe I'm missing something. Check out her book, Shadow Work, and all of the things that Danielle has to offer. You're, she's always putting really cool stuff up on Instagram, so make sure you follow her. And in all of the places, Danielle, thank you so much for being on Tea Talk today. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. Take care. See you next week. All right. That's today's episode, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Tea Talk. I hope that your cup of tea is full today and that you were able to pull something out of this for yourself. If you know someone that needs to hear this episode, please send it their way. And let me know what you're thinking by sending me a message on Instagram. I love hearing from you all. And make sure to follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you are loving what you're hearing, please leave me a review and a rating. It would mean so much. All right, friends, take good care and I will see you next time.